Stand by for a Patreon exclusive. All right, guys, this is Alex Sturgeon with the Hobbytown Hobbyplex, and uh, we're here for another special um, interview. This time, we, uh, we talked to John Talberg last time, and this time, we get to talk to Ken Kalen, the originator of uh, the Omaha Hobbytowns and uh, the Hobbyplex. How's it going? Good. You we, mean finally get to talk to Yeah, you. we finally get to talk to you. We've been talking about this for a long time, and basically ever since we started doing the podcast, I was like, you got to come on as a guest, and then... It just, uh, your time is valuable, so um, it just never seemed to work out. Well, I, I felt bad. Should have, probably should have had an interview when I was still the owner and then interview the new owner, but we'll just do it in reverse. No, it's fine. This is perfect. Um, <laughs> it works out time-wise for you and me. I know we were trying to figure out a time to get it in, and I kind of had to like brainstorm what we wanted to talk about. I mean, there's, there's quite a bit we could go over. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, why don't we just start with, with who are you, where are you from, what's your family history, you know, how did, how did that all start? Yeah, well, I am from central Nebraska, which when people talk about being from the country around here, they mean like Elkhorn right. or Gretna. Where I grew up is You're the as country, country as it gets. <laughs> Probably about an hour north of Kearney for people that have at least been down the interstate. And, uh, so zero to 18 grew up on a fully legit farm. My dad, my grandpa, what all the way back to my grandfather what, were farmers. What did they actually farm? I mean, was it, was it just crops or was it livestock or was it both or both? We had mostly corn, corn, cows and soybeans, right? Hay, alfalfa, hay, alfalfa. And then we usually had about a hundred head of cattle in the pasture, yeah, and about a hundred head in the feedlot, and that was so all kind of my job. But my main focus was taking care of the cattle, and yeah. So I'd ride my motorcycle out in the pasture, checking on the cattle, cutting must thistles. It's another job that we had to do. The county out there, around here, you know, we did get one letter at the Plex one time, yeah. But it was on another guy's property, not ours. Because if my dad saw that we had a must thistle on the Plexus property, he'd probably get on me pretty hard. Yeah, and th- those from uh, from like California, those are these big, goofy, um, sp- uh, spiny plants thistle. with a purple head on them. A thistle, right? yeah, yeah. Like a so thistle. one day somebody thought they were really pretty. Yeah, it's just they they took over. Yeah. So the counties, especially in the farm, they. It's illegal to have them on your property, so mm. you have to cut them. So, hmm. so I would do that out in the pasture with my motorcycle. I had a little PVC pipe that I attached to my motor, my dirt bike that had a shovel in it. Hmm. And so, as I was checking cattle, I'd cut musk thistles. But I, from zero to eighteen, that was my life, and I grew up farming. And then we had a nearby in a town of thirty people, yeah, called Westerville. We had a two-room country schoolhouse, so I had two other kids in my grade from kindergarten to eighth grade. We didn't have sports, really organized sports. Yeah. So even though I played on the playground, dreaming of being a Husker someday, I didn't get a play until I was a freshman in 
in high school. Okay. Went to a bigger school. And and so you there was no peewee, no nothing. No, oh, no. You just went right into No, we 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 had recess. But was it was it like the seven man or eight man or or was it full legit? When when I got to high school. Yeah. When I got to high school, <clears throat> which is nearby, it was called Ansley. So it was about 10 miles okay. from our house. And um we were 11 man and and a good good team, good good tradition. Yeah. And my senior year, we played at the the county rival that we had. Most people in the county knew this was one of the biggest rivals. It was like Nebraska, Oklahoma for us small right. town people. They had went to eight man. They didn't have enough enrollment. It all goes by enrollment sure. in school. Yeah. So like I was at the country school, I had three kids in my grade and I went big time and then I had 30 kids in my grade right. when I was in high school. So the enrollment is affected by what level they're, they're at. And we were at C2, which is right above eight man. Mm. But the last game of the season, they weren't on our schedule because they were eight man. So the coaches and the communities got together. This would be illegal today. Yeah. But they put together a ninth regular season game so we could play this rival game. Yeah. But we had to, but we had to play at eight man. At eight man. So none of us had played eight man. So they wouldn't let them have it on their field because it was a too much of a home field advantage. Sure. So they had it on our field and they adjusted. It's 10 yards more narrow and 20 yards shorter. And so we played that game and uh, kept the rival going. Yeah. And thankfully we won, although it was a very close game, we won. But that was my introduction when I went from country school to high school. I'd loved the Huskers growing up, loved football, but never got to play organized. Yeah. But when I was a freshman, I decided this, this is what I love to do. And my sisters were great athletes at everything, volleyball, basketball, track. Right. I was very average at basketball and track. And so football was my, was my love. And my freshman year, I just was figuring stuff out and I didn't know there were plays or holes or, mm -hmm. and then my sophomore year, I was able to start at IBAC and rush for over a thousand yards and had uh, really started to live out my dream at that time. So that that's going to bring us to kind of a combination of of, of football and family. So, um, so for those of you guys that that are listening, so you you were a Husker, like yeah. you were starting fullback <laughs> yeah. your senior year. Am I correct? Yes. Yep, right. Yep. So, um, it's kind of funny because when I when I talk to when I've talked to or when I see ex Huskers from from the Tom Osborne era, you guys all, I, I hate to like lump you all in together, but you all have kind of a very distinct feel about you, mm -hmm. like a look, like you're very focused and uh, like you can see, I'm trying to, I'm trying to pick out some names, but um, I only see faces right now, but uh, I always do this when I'm on the podcast, but it, but it, it, you can tell that there's an influence there from from that process mm -hmm. of of college football at that level yep. and getting to be a starter. So um 
We kind of already went over. So you, you first learned to play as a freshman in high school. No mm-hmm. Kiwi, no nothing. Yeah. And it was, it was, the seniors didn't take it easy on me. Right. <laughs> so we played the freshmen played against the seniors. And so that toughened me up quick. They were great. I think we were second in the state that year. Yeah. And my, my sophomore year, when I started playing, we were second in the state that year. We, we were in the finals and, uh, my junior year, I got injured and missed four of the eight games. Mm. That summer, I went to uh, a guy told me about a Husker football camp right. in the summer. So, and he told me, he said, no matter where these kids are from, California, Texas, wherever, he said, don't let anybody know you're afraid. Just go out there and go full speed. And, and I did, and the running back coach at that time was his name was Mike Corgan before Frank Solich took over. Right. And he pulled me aside at the end of the camp and they started sending me letters and, and asking me how my season was doing my junior year. Mm-hmm. I, and then my, so it was, that was before my junior year after my sophomore year is when I went to that camp. And then I went to it again, then at the junior year and did really well at the camp. So they were kind of curious as to why I didn't. I rushed for a thousand yards, but I only played in four, four and a half games. Yeah. So they were kind of curious as to what that was about. So at the camp, I was able to explain that and show them. And I was getting bigger, trying to gain weight. Yep. And then, um, and then afterwards, uh, Coach Osborne pulled me aside after the camp and said some really encouraging things. And, um, made it, made it seem like there was a chance that I was, I'd be able to get a chance for the team. So that, that next senior year, I had troubles with injuries again and it was frustrating, but because of those camps, they knew what my abilities were. Sure. And so I was, what's called a preferred walk on you're recruited, but you don't get any money, right? You got to earn your way. And. So when I graduated from high school, I went to UNL and walked on and, and, uh, going from a town of 30 people to a campus of 25,000 yeah. students was an adjustment. Were you always an offensive player? In high school, I started both ways Yeah, and the small towns, most guys did, but I was a linebacker. I was a, I was a defensive back as a sophomore and then uh. I was a linebacker my my junior senior year. So I really enjoyed that. I mean, that was, that got me ready to play fullback yeah. in college. Cause at I back, it's a little different story. Yeah. And there's uh, probably one of the most hard to believe stories that I have. And my mom has the scrapbook to prove it is as a freshman, they test us all out. And as a freshman, most division, big division one colleges, they have a hundred, we had about 120 just freshmen. Right. And so they got to thin these guys out. Yeah. So they put you through a series of tests. And I think it's about six or seven tests. And I thought, I, I assumed they were going to cut me because there's all these star guys from all over the country, four-star, five-star guys. Yeah. And so I figured if I could, they, they graded you on these tests. And I thought if I could test out in the top 50 or 60, about half, they won't cut me. 
And I went the next day, they posted the results and I went and out of those 120 recruits, I tested out second. What out were of them. The, was that physical testing or was it? Yeah. Okay. Yep. And is that like where they do the, the 40, jump thing? And 40, 40. Yeah. 40 was the big, the agility is the quickness, which I was first, I was number one on the agility. Nice. So then that's when I started to think, okay, I think I can do this. I think I can compete with these guys. But there was one problem. I was an IBAC. Mm-hmm. And back then, probably the top two or three IBACs in the, in the nation wanted to come to Nebraska. Yeah. So I had a big decision to make that I, I knew I probably would maybe make travel squad as an IBAC. But as, at fullback, maybe I'd have a chance to start play. Yeah, and, and play a lot and <clears throat> maybe start. Earn a scholarship is what I was wanting to do. Coach Osborne's um, rule was that if you became number two on the depth chart, he would give you a scholarship. So I figured I didn't even have to start, but I could get my, I could get to number two. Maybe I could get my school paid for. Yeah. So my junior, I said I had to gain a lot of weight. So no steroids, just praying and lifting weights, eating a lot. So my, my true sophomore, you see red shirt a year. So you right. just try to get bigger, stronger, spend your day, your year on the scout team. Yeah. But then my sophomore year, I traveled. And then my junior year, I was able to be number two and earn scholarship and then play behind Tom Rathman for a year, which was like a daily war in practice, but made me <laughs> the best I could be as a fullback. Mm-hmm. And then he graduated, and then I was able to start. That was 1986. I was able to start that year. So it was it was like a dream come true for a kid, especially back in those days when we won. Yeah. I think we averaged from 1960 to 2000. Nebraska averaged 10 and 2 for yeah. those 40 years. Uh, I actually went back and watched, I think it was Penn State. He played in Orange That was Bowl? a little before a little before. Was me. that before? Yeah. Oh crap. I was trying to find I was trying to find on YouTube one of your games. We had there I think they're on there. You can look the 84 Sugar Bowl. Of course we had to play LSU. Yeah. In the Superdome, which is home field. Like Memorial Stadium with a cap on it. Yeah. With a bunch of raging cage and crazy people. Yeah. And we beat them in 85. And then in 86 we played Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl in Phoenix. And we lost right at the end. It came down to the very last minutes we lost. But Bo Schimbeckler, Harbaugh was the starting quarterback. Right. He's been the great coach there now. Yeah. And then my senior year, we had to go play in the Sugar Bowl again against LSU again. And um, we beat them again. That, so that would be the games that I was, I was able to play in. And I started in the, in the last Sugar Bowl. So that was, that was my last game. I mean, just as a, as, as Husker fans, I mean, what, what's, I've met Tom Osborne. Thanks to you <laughs> about crap. My pants, <laughs> you brought him into the booth once as a, I was during one of our big races and he's <laughs> like, you're like, Alex, turn around. And I like turn around. There's Tom Osborne. I'm like, ah, <laughs> but I mean, what, what was that like? I mean, what I'm trying to angle at here is what sets you up for the tenacity that I know that you have to get to get things done better? Was it, or was it a combination of your family life plus the Huskers or, or, I mean, what, what do you think? Yeah. Well, or, I think, or was it before that because you, you did so well becoming a walk on starter? I think having that dream, the, 
and the drive. And then when you realize what it's going to take to get there. Right. Um, and then you, I can still remember when, just like the scholarship, that deal that he had, you just kind of wonder, is he going to hold up that deal? You didn't sign anything. Yeah. And um, I was in the shower. Giant, we have these giant showers, you know, that all the guys shower in. And one of my walk-on teammates came in the shower and said, Kalen, I just went up and signed my scholarship with Coach Osborne, and he told me to come and get you, and you're next. Nice. And it was in slow mo. We went, I went up the elevator and I hardly ever went in his office. He had this awesome office with the, the seven, the championship trophies yeah. and stuff. And I went in there and he, he always called me Kenny. Right. He still did. <laughs> and he's, yeah. And he said, uh, Kenny have a seat. And then he said these super nice things to me and congratulated me and gave me a full ride scholarship and everything was paid for. And um, it, it just kind of all came together and you, you reflect that was my junior year. So I was the number two guy yeah. and then the senior year. And so you reflect on that, but it changed kind of changes your trajectory in life. And, and I think Tom Osborne, we all, I, I'd say all, almost all looked up to him as a surrogate dad and he lived his life, um, as a godly man, a Christian, he, he lived it out and he was under a ton of pressure. Yeah. And um, we all watched it. You know, the top 60 guys were with him a lot on the road, off the road. He had pressure. He couldn't win the big one. You know, he's compared to Bob Devaney all the time. Right. And, and even though we'd be 10 and two or whatever, he, people were on him. And it's just amazing to watch this man live his life. So he had a huge impact on me and my spiritual life as a person and how that confidence can stem from that. He was a guy you wouldn't want to mess with, even though people thought he was kind of maybe, uh, I would say weak, but they, they didn't know how tough he really was. Yeah. And, but nobody would mess with him. The toughest guys on the team respected him to the, to the utmost and accomplishing that gave me the confidence that if I could find something I like to do, I loved football. Mm -hmm. That's why I said I, I could talk the whole time about football. I yeah. loved it. But I, I realized after working a couple of places, I worked for Nabisco right out of college as a sales rep and had some, some little run-ins here and there with, with people. I found out that I could, if I respected them, I could really, like Tom Osborne, I could do anything for them. But if not, it, it can cause little problems here and there, especially mm -hmm. after 10 years of playing football. And if somebody <clears> bothered <throat> you, you learned how you to deal with that them. a different way. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, you know what? I grew up on a farm. Almost all my friends from back home grew up on a farm and they were all self-employed. Right. My dad's uh, farm was too small to support two families. So it wasn't an option for me. So I had to try to find a small business and I checked out Subway and all the different, I had friends that owned Runzas and Valentinos and, but I just couldn't afford, I didn't have the money for that my wife and I, and, um, uh, which by the way, Jamie, we, as you know, Jamie, we got married our, my sophomore year in college. So I she was, was gonna, with me. I was going to bring that up yeah. a little bit. So she was that. with me through the whole yeah. deal. So she saw the whole, the whole rise coming home with my forehead swollen but out and, am and I, injured. And, if I remember right, you got married at a bowl game, right? 
right after. Right after. Right yeah, after okay. the Orange Bowl. Yeah, right, right after the Orange okay. Bowl. Felt like within less than two weeks. So she was with me through all of that. And neither one of our families had a ton of money. So yeah. I I wanted to own my own business. I wanted to be more uh, my own boss. And amazingly, Tom Osborne's son-in-law owned a hobby town right. in Fort Collins, Colorado. Mutual good friend of ours was the first hobby town owner. And he had the first store in Colorado Springs and was looking for a partner to open a second store. So see, now we can segue yeah. out of the, we'll segue out unless of football. You, unless you have football, any more football questions. Well, uh, no, not really. I just, I liked, I wanted to integrate your football experience into how, yeah. you know, we dealt with things at the Plex. I just, I, I think the two correlate very well. Well, and just to wrap that up, I think a lot of people wondered if you're a starter for a division one, top division one school, the pros NFL is an sure. option. Yeah. And I've always tried to be, and hopefully you've seen this, to be real honest with myself, with you guys. And I was a very average Division One football player. Even though I started, I was very average. Did you ever go to the Combine or anything like that? I was asked to go to all the Combines. But I, since we'd been married at age 20, and now it's 23, 24, yeah. I thought, you know, I better start focusing on family possibilities. Sure. And I better get a job. And so I had no regrets. I was blessed to accomplish and exceed every goal I had with the Huskers. And so I, I didn't have my, you could have asked me in high school, Ken, you could play for the Denver Broncos, the Chiefs or the Huskers. And I would have looked at you like it was a trick question. Sure. Yeah. I would, I would have wanted to play for the Huskers more than anything. And a lot of the guys, they have a goal of going to the NFL. It's a lot more today than it was then. But, yeah. but I was content. And um, so the transition for me, I was looking forward to losing some weight. I'd put on a lot of weight. to. So I was 180 pounds as a freshman. Yeah. And my senior year, I was 235. And I had to work out a lot yeah. to keep that moving at, the, at what's demanded at that level. So I was able to drop 20 pounds in a month. And it just felt great. And was just really easy transition for me to. Can I ask you something? Yeah. Does it feel the same way now? No. Losing weight? <laughs> no, not losing oh. weight, but just like having that constant everyday uh, pressure to be at the top of your game yeah. in football. And now here we are a couple months later. I mean, do you, do you feel that yeah, same when sort of? When I was working for Nabisco, we would, the, the trucks would deliver all the product. And then we would, and a lot of the stores, we would stock the, the product. And I had a guy back in my home area. That was my part of my route in central Nebraska. And he said, oh, I can't believe Ken Kalen stocking shelves yeah. at the grocery cart. And I just looked at him and I said, Hey, I love it. Yeah. I didn't say, I didn't say like, well, I work for <laughs> this big company. Cause Nabisco was a $20 billion company at that time. It was a great, great benefits, great stock options. It was a great company. And, um, they wouldn't hire me until I got my degree. Mm. So, hmm. so I, so the day I got my degree, they hired me. Right. So, but, but I went, um, and Bob Wilkie, right. who is the president of Hobbytown now, yes. yep. he owned the Hobbytown in Fort Collins, Colorado. And we were great friends in college. Matter of fact, I introduced him to Ann Osborne. Mm-hmm. 
which they ended up getting married. So we, we knew each other very well. And he said, you know, you want to own your own business. You ought to try this. And I say, I know nothing, Bob, about this. I, I, I wouldn't, and I don't like to be a fake. I don't, I just don't know anything about it. And he said, well, you can hire people that know about it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he didn't tell me how long it would take before you could, you know, you got to run it yourself. Yeah. So I checked into it. The guy that was in Colorado Springs that wanted to open up the second store. So he was the first Hobbytown franchise. He started in 1986. He loved Colorado Springs. So he went and opened the store, the first Hobbytown in 1986 in, in Colorado Springs. And you partnered with him. Is that right? So the second he wanted to open a second store, he was at the North end of Colorado, of Colorado Springs. He wanted to or, or open a store at the South end. And so, but he wanted a partner. And we knew each other. His brother led my Bible study in college. I knew his family and stayed with his folks uh, uh, once or twice. And so it was a pretty good match. And I knew he had to know somewhat of what he was doing. Yeah. Because it had been about four years, I think. Yeah, from 86 to 1990 is when that was. And I went out to visit him to just see it. Because I hadn't, I hadn't been inside a hobby shop in my life. I didn't even really know. Bob Wilkie had met me on my Nabisco route in Minden, Nebraska, and he had an RC car, and we were out in the parking lot, and they had a concrete parking lot that turned into a gravel parking lot, and he dropped this RC car on the, on the, parking the paved and took it off and <clears throat> went through the gravel and was cutting cookies and, and come back, and he goes, what do you think? And I said, that's really cool. <laughs> and so... That truly is how it got started. And so I thought, well, at least it would be cool. At least those, and anybody, even if you don't know about it, right? the RC stuff is cool. So, so that's kind of, that's how it started and got my curiosity level up enough to go out to Colorado Springs and visit Todd and start asking him questions. So does that make you number two? No, by of, that of time, franchise- so four, so there were four years. So he opened in 86. Yeah. So I was 1990. So at that time, there was probably a dozen. Right. And I mean, there was like, I can remember Spearfish, South Dakota was one of the names. I mean, there was, they were just trying to open up stores anywhere well, that they could. I mean, I wrote down on our sheet here. I mean, I remember as a kid here in Omaha, there were, I think there were five hobby towns at one time and they all had different owners. Yes. I know. I know you had La Vista. Uh, um, Bob had uh the West, West, West Center. His brother, West Center. the Danny Vlasic, had Rockbrook, and then there was another one that opened up for a very short period of time at like Seventy Second and Dodge. And there was I, one in Bellevue think, before yeah, that, yep. I think. Yeah. Well, so since the franchise started in Lincoln, yeah, Lincoln, because Merle Hayes and Tom Walla, the two original guys, they had four stores in Lincoln, right? They, just because they it was their deal, and so I'm sure they thought, well, if we have four in Lincoln. We ought to have at least four more in, in Omaha. But as you know, that if you're the owner of the franchise, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Like they're, they're almost like one or two of them are legit and the others are kind of like a warehouse or well, something. And not only that, but I mean, beyond hobby town, you had Bel Air, AC hobbies, buds, hobbies, yes. action hobby. I mean, there were a lot of hobby yeah. stores in Omaha yeah. in the early nineties. Yeah. You know? Well, so I went, I went to Colorado Springs. Yeah. And decided to do it. And, but I had no money. My wife and I scraped up 
well, we, we had, we scraped up about 30,000 bucks of our old money. We, our families couldn't help us. And, um, that's how I got started. And, and that was 1990. I, yeah. I mean, $30,000 is a lot of money. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, when you're buying inventory, it, the, the yeah. fixtures and all the equipment, Lodier, the inventory, yeah, it was, yeah. but what I needed was contacts. I needed bankers, mm-hmm. attorney, accountant. And I had all these guys <clears throat> back in Nebraska because of Husker football. Right. I, I, I had contacts. And you, you and Tim have heard me say that uh, you guys have got obvious specialties mm-hmm. and you're great at it. And you've heard me tell people that my specialty was learning how to fool banks into loaning me money. Right. And so I had to get contacts and try to get these guys to hear what I was doing. And when you talk about the football, they knew my background and that I was a determined guy. And um, I feel like I've been blessed with more common sense than intellect. And so to be able to figure out uh, the basics of common sense of of, uh, business, I just needed some help and people that were patient with me maybe could could uh, bend the rules a little bit um, to get me started. And so it was great in Colorado Springs. I loved living there. But after four years, I decided to go ahead and sell my, my portion to my partner. Yeah. And then I moved back to, to Omaha in 1994. So that's, that's how that, that chapter of Colorado Springs, that's how that all kind of came about. So there never, there never was any other destination. It was always going to be Omaha. Well, I felt because Lincoln was already yeah took take yep. care of. There was a store in Scotts Bluff uh, during that time. Yeah, and of course, the guy in Grand Island he started six months before me, and his store is still mm-hmm. there. Yep, and um, so I admire him for that because that's a small market forty yeah. fifty thousand people. So really, Omaha was was it. My wife's family are from Trainer, Iowa, which is thir- thirty minutes across yep. the river. You know, so exactly. so we we're close to home. I had a lot of contacts here. So Omaha was it, even though it looked like it was pretty crowded, but, um, we live, my wife and I still this day are pretty frugal, live pretty cheap. So, so we just need to get started. Yeah. And, um, we checked out the Metro and, and, um, down South toward La Vista, the, the Bellevue store had closed. So La Vista is where we kind of landed. Yeah. And back in 1994, that area was, was kind of hopping down there. Yep. Their Walmart was across my the street. My mom worked at Brentwood Square at Baker's. Oh, okay. So I used to, I used to go into that store, uh, when she was, uh, uh, when she would like take me with her or something for something, she'd drop me off and just be like, go into there. And I'd be like, go into there. Okay, fine. And then she'd come out. Yeah. So that's what got us to Omaha Metro. And that's, and then we, we settled on La Vista's location and, and. And when did that one open? 94. 94. Yeah. Okay. Two years later. We did really well. I think we were number one store in Colorado Springs out of those few. Mm-hmm. So we did pretty well. We got to La Vista. It broke all those records that we had there. So we were doing well enough that we, but we couldn't go to center, you know, anywhere center street. So we had to go north. Yeah. Right away is north. So we went up to Maple. 96? And 96. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think we even, we even interviewed some curly haired little punk sometime yeah. in that range. Yeah. At the time. Uh, so 97, I was, um, I graduated high school and I was working at gamers and I was looking to move out. I wanted to move out of my house. 
with your on, parents and yeah. on my own. Yeah. With my parents, yeah. just get an apartment and I was looking at possibly a second job and, and, uh, but then I, gamers gave me another buck an hour or something like that. Yeah. But you got, we got to be honest, you know? So Tim, I don't know if it was a Tim or John Carroll, John Carroll. Okay. So, so I remember this kid coming in and negotiating with me the the yeah, minimum wage. I couldn't, I could, you, you wanted to pay me bare minimum wage. And I'm like, uh, I'm making like, like a dollar more than that now. Uh, yeah. And I, I was, I was quite the, st- and still am. I feel bad. You know, it's like, uh, the part-time guys, I had to focus on my part-time guys yeah. so this, or my full-time, my full-time guys. So the part-time guys had to understand mm-hmm. that it was minimum wage, but you get the, the, discount on your parts and, and free well, and racing the at the time. There was, there was, there then. was an indoor track in Omaha at the time. And so, you know, Tommy, Tom Smith had worked there. Um, Nate Dyson had worked for you. Mm. Uh, Jeff Schratt had worked for you. All <laughs> right. these guys worked for you. And I was like one of the odd boys out. I hadn't worked for you yet. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go give that a shot. Yeah. It all worked out for a reason. No, we'll, I mean, we'll, cause we'll out. touch on that yeah. coming up. You know, you got, we got to tell them how, how it came back around. Cause that would have been 97, 98. And then in 2004 is when we, we picked you and I yes. picked back up. Yep. But between then the La Vista stores, 94, we were doing well. And I felt like it was an opportunity for us to open up a second store and West Maple, the guy I was working with uh, that managed the Brentwood square mall. He knew the guy that was building this, this, uh, New yeah. little strip mall before it was even <clears throat> built. Eagle Run was all brand new. And there. so he, I got an inside track on that. And old Chicago was starting, built where well, we were able to get open quick. Mm-hmm. So we were the first business to open in that little strip mall. And it did really well. And soon was beating the La Vista store in yeah. sales. But um, Tim Chapansky came on in. 90 CC 98 98 it was yeah so 1998 he was working at at Lincoln and they had a lot of employees yeah and they would ship them out around the country to open stores and I, I think Tim had had enough of going from Miami yeah, to I Washington mean, it, State yeah franchise business advisor they still yeah. have them I mean yep. not near as many as they used to so he'd put in his time and was looking to stay put and I was down there training some computer training at the East Park store with Tom Walla, mm-hmm. one of the owners. And we were about done, but I needed one more day. It's Friday. And I'm like, gosh, I think I need to come back probably Monday. And he goes, we well, can come back tomorrow. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to bother you guys on Saturday. And he goes, hold on. And he looked out and there was a guy working out there and he went out. He goes, his day off is Saturday, but I might be able to get him to work and you can come in. And I'm going, who, what retail manager is going to want to work on his day off finally on a Saturday? Yeah. It was Tim Chapansky. He went out there, asked him if he'd work. Tim, without, I was watching through the two-way mirrors without hesitation. Tim didn't know me, hadn't met me. He, without hesitation, he, he said he'd do it. And when Tom came in the back, I said, who is that guy? He said, oh, it's Tim. He's been working for us a while. And I said, well, if there's ever an opportunity for whatever reason, I'd love to have that guy work for me. Yeah. And it was like a year or so later, I got a call from him and they said, well, Tim's kind of getting tired of traveling all over the country. He kind of like to stay in one place and we don't really have a spot for that. 
And so Tim and I met. And I remember I said, I'll meet you at the Cabela's exit up there. We met and here it is, what, 25, 20, 20 plus years later. Yeah. That was, that was how Tim and I got started. And he started uh, doing great things at the Maple Store. Asked me because the, the mall was only half full. The South End was open. And he asked if we could do some parking, parking lot racing. And, of course, I didn't know what the heck that was. Right. And we started out, Tim and some friends. And I, I want to I say this, too. I'll say it right now, that I want to say thank you to every single customer over all these years yeah. that helped us do what we did. We were able to provide racing from that time, probably 1998, 99, all the way to today without ever losing a track. Yeah ever not having a place to race. And a lot of that is because of Tim Chapansky. And of course, when you came on board. Well, and Ken McKinney, Chris Tyler, oh, yes. who both are still racing. Oh, They're both yes. racing at the Plex. So right many guys. Everyone. That's why I don't want to mention any names yeah. because I, I feel bad. If Those I, are the I two right off anything. the top of my head though, that yeah. I know. Yeah, you know, Kenny, I, I appreciated him all Chris through. Chris trailer. Yeah, all those guys, yep. yeah. So Tim got that going. People in the community supported it. The Plex wouldn't even ex wouldn't exist if yeah. people didn't rally at that Maple store. And it got so bad that old Chicago, clear at the other end, started complaining, complaining. about our parking. They yeah. didn't have parking. And back then, all the hoods were popped up and people were charging their batteries yeah. out, out the head. And, it, and so I, I went up on the roof. I went through the ladder and up in the roof to take pictures because I wanted to send it, show it to the banker. Mm -hmm. And because you had to see it to believe it. And I had decided to talk to Tim when we started getting more complaints and you know, we needed to be able to grow. Yeah. And I said to Tim, and then we'd have a rain out and we'd stop, mm -hmm. we couldn't race. And then we'd have winter come and we had to pack everything up. Or you'd have that one bizarre car parked right in the middle of the track. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I asked Tim one day, I said, Tim, if we could build our own track, yeah. Do you think there'd be enough support? And he didn't even hesitate. He said, oh, yeah, you do it. And about that time, the owner that owned that strip mall, just like most landlords, they were killing it. So they almost doubled their rent. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it was 60000 a year. Something went from like 30000 to sixty. And so I went to my banker friends and I sat down with them and I said, they raised my rent to sixty grand." I said, what if I made loan payments? My loan payments were 60000 I said, how big of a building do you think I could build for $60,000 of loan payments? And the one guy turned and looked at me and he said, a big one. Right. And so people want to know <clears throat> how it all came about, <laughs> what kind of <laughs> rocket science it took. That was it. He, he looked at me and he said, a big one. And I said, are you in? I said, because I'm ready to do it. He said, well, let me talk to some people and make sure. And that's how it just started. We, the lease was coming up on that Maple store and the timing was, was right. And I felt like we'd learned enough at that time. So I started 1990 and that was getting close to, uh, we opened that in 04. That's when you, or 03. 03. You started working in 04. Yeah. And so, so that was, we were getting, we got, to where we had figured it out pretty good, what, what we need to do. 
but why pay these strip mall guys when we could have our own building and we could do it big and we'd never get rained out. We didn't have to stop in the winter time. Yeah. And um, so I had to put numbers together for the bank, but, but I knew that he knew that I was confident in doing it and we, and so we were able to pull it off. Was it, was it a struggle to get financing for that? Or, I mean, did things come well, at together? The beginning, they all, they all had the numbers from what I did in Colorado Springs, what I had done um, at, Vista. at La Vista and then, and then Maple. So they had a good track record, but it didn't seem like it was going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine was a vice president of one of the banks and, and uh, he told me he could push it through. So I was up on the hill up there at the top of the hill to Plex. It was just a pasture at that time. Yeah. And there was probably five or six dirt moving things down there, moving the dirt. Cause they were kind of prepping for that storage facility too. the owner yep. of the land that I bought it from. Yep. He was prepping for that. So it was a lot of, a lot of dirt work and my phone rang and it was the banker. And he said, Ken, I wasn't able to push the loan through. So you're going to have to wait. Devastating. And I said, well, I'm sitting out here and they're moving the dirt. And he said, you better go stop them. <laughs> you don't have any money. Uh. So I started pulling strings and a guy knew a banker in San Diego, California. And I got the financing through U.S. Bank in Southern California. And then my friend that was the vice president became the president. And he bought the loan out oh. and took it back, took it back to local. Right. But that was stressful. I bet. Yeah. And so, but as people listening that every job's stressful. Yeah. Every job you get blindsided. You feel like you got punched in the side of the head. <laughs> you get up and, and figure out uh plan B or D or wherever you're at. And um, I had a real strong belief that we could do it. And um, we stuck to it. And, and in Oh uh, four, it was February of Oh four. We opened up and of course there's a blizzard and, yeah, we, we opened up, but, but got it going and, um, it just hit the ground again because of the customers, um, the loyal customers were able to hit the ground running and, and get the bills paid. Just, just, I just knew it was going to take a long, long time to, to pay it. Where did, where did the hobby plex come from? Like where, where did it dawn on you one day or, yeah. or, you know, so I lived happen? down in La Vista Cottonwood where the kind of by the Sam's club down there before it was built. So every day I'd drive up uh, 72nd street and every day I'd drive by this fun plex. Yep. And it's just such a cool, I'm like, what a great, you know, got Ventureland. I take my kids to Ventureland yeah. and fun plex. I'm like, that's so cool. And I thought, what about the hobby plex? Yeah. The hobby plex would be a, that'd be a cool name. So, so I, uh, I thought we'd call it the hobby town hobby plex because we were, we, I built it with those high ceilings thinking that, you know, my people might want to fly airplanes in there. Yeah. We're going to have on road cars, off road cars, do all kinds of stuff. And so it wasn't just a hobby shop. We thought it was a hobby plex. Right. And uh, so that's kind of where that came from. And it's fun to this day. I still, when we walked in the room and saw the hobby plex logo up there. Yeah. <laughs> still cool i think yeah no it's it's uh it's cool how it's not just the hobby it turned into the plex like yeah, people would just say hey yeah. let's go to the plex it's 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 it had yeah. such a 
simple catchiness to it. You yeah, know? that wasn't us. That wasn't us. That was the customers. Yeah, they called it the Plex, and and at first I I love I just chuckled and thought that's the coolest thing, and then down the road I'd be talking to other hobby town owners, and they'd ask you on the La Vista store, and then and then uh, I'd say the Plex. They didn't know what I was talking. Yeah. About. <laughs> but the plex is just is just what it got to be or or if somebody from my back back home area i'd say tell them the plex but uh, that's pretty cool how that came around but one of the one of the major cogs in the success of the plex is the guy i'm sitting across the table from here yeah so he yeah. uh so you came tried it again thought you'd come and interview again well, and, I thought uh, I was done. I, so what happened was uh, I was running the Lincoln track, the outdoor track right. from 2000 to 2003, because that was the only way to very soft road. You know, I liked parking lot. It was fun, but it wasn't me. It was, I'm an off-road person. So, you know, I, I'd race at the Plex on road in the wintertime. And then in the summertime, I wanted to race dirt. I wanted to race yeah. off road. And uh, I still lived in Omaha. So I was driving down there two or three times a week to either work on the track or to run the races. Uh-huh. And after the third year, that got kind of old. Yeah. So I was kind of done and, uh, and the hobby flex opened up and I was working retail. I was working as a meat clerk at Baker's and, uh, trying to finish up my, uh, my degree at the same time. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was in there for a race one day and Roger was like, yeah, you ever think about working here? And I was like, really? Well, I mean, you'd have to pay me. And mm. so that's when we had the interview yeah. again. Yeah. So, and so, you were a major reason that we started looking at the surrounding land. Yeah. I had, ha- I had an option that I could expand, that I could take the land in the back, but I didn't have any money. Right. So they were kind enough to uh, just kind of give me first right of refusal on that. But I'd ask them if we could use that front uh, parking lot where the Christmas lights guy is right yeah. now. And that's where you took, you took, you took that. And took things to a whole nother level. Yeah. And that was pretty much <laughs> a giant track. And we built that Roger help building that driver stand. And well, I mean, we had like 20 honored racers on a Wednesday night, pick up the driver stand from where it was, which is on the other side right of the parking lot. In the park. And we moved it to the off-road track. And then like a week later, like basically a tornado came a minute yes. and destroyed it. And I yeah. thought I was going to get fired. <laughs> I was like, Oh no. <laughs> we should have staked it down, huh? Yeah, we should yeah. have. Yeah. Well, Roger was such a handy guy. We, we got, we were able it. to yeah. get it back together and, yep. and, uh, and it held its own yeah. until, until finally we were able to make a move on that back lot. Yeah. And, um, that but was, that was the uh, offer track's gone through some cool iterations. It was a 200 by 100 foot giant in the, in the hobby, in the holiday bright lights. And then towards the end there, we actually kind of made it smaller because it was easier to work with. Right. Yeah. And then when we made it to 2007, we moved it down. And I thought that was a really cool racetrack. I mean, you had this big, uh, Jeff Thielen helped us build the driver stand. So it, it was a really nice, solid wood driver mm-hmm. stand with a tin yeah. roof. Yeah. And uh, the only problem was if it rained, yes. we were screwed for like three or four days because it turned into just a giant lake, Ugh. you know? That's one of the reasons I still have a difficult time sleeping today. Yeah. We'd have, so I felt bad for all these racers that would come from all over the Midwest. Yeah. And we'd have one of those pop-up thunderstorms. It wouldn't even be something that people could plan for. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I remember that the one that broke my back to where I had to go and just beg the, the bankers to, to help me get this thing going was, I think it was a, it was a bigger race. I can't, if it was, it was a regional or. I, I remember the 2009 Nats that I had, I had planned. I had given myself 10 days to build the track and it rained every single day. And then I finally got the track done that Tuesday before the race. People were showing up, but I was still working on the track. Yes. And then, uh, and then Tuesday mid afternoon, it rained again and it dropped like three inches in less than an hour. And, uh, we didn't get a full, a full track of practice until Wednesday night. And, uh, you know, we had done the, 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 the sawdust pine stuff. We had, we had done the tarps. Yeah. You know, you had, you had driven, I think you sped like really fast to oh, go yeah. to or something and grab these tarps. Bought, oh, well it was Home Depot at that time. Yeah. I bought all the tarps, both. I think it was two Home Depots on L street and the one up uh, North 72nd. Yeah. Bought all they had the giant, like 150 by, I don't know what they were, but, and I just throw, I remember when I, one store, I threw them all off, told you guys to put them out. Mm-hmm. Then I went to the other store and got them and, and then Cameron and I would babysit those things all night, trying to sweep the the water. So off. all night long, we'd be there from yeah from like ten o'clock. It at seemed night like to no matter what we did morning. with the tarps, there's always there was always water underneath of them. We'd overlap them, struggle bus. Yeah, and so but see, but I remember 2009. I remember specifically you you. It was towards the end of the weekend, like the race for the most part was pretty successful. I can tell you, there's some stuff that I personally would have done differently. Like I didn't water the track at all after we started racing because I, I thought I wasn't supposed to, <laughs> but it turns out that I probably should have, yeah. you know? So when you go back and you watch a video and you see the track from a racer standpoint, for like me, I'm like, Oh you know, like, <laughs> yeah, track looks like crap, but normal people would be like, well, that's really cool. But I'm looking at it going, Oh my yeah. gosh. But I remember that Sunday and you like, you like put your hand on my shoulder and you go, we're going to put a rough on this place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I thought that it it had given me enough determination. Yeah, that I had to go to my banker friend and explain what's going on. And thankfully he listened and and then I thought there was a, a good way that I could save a lot of money because this was just going to be like on the farm, there's just going to yeah. be a big metal building over the top of dirt. So I thought, well, I can be the general contractor on this. I can run the crews and I can do all that. And that was a huge mistake on my part Mm. because I found out that that's not what a general contractor, the main thing they do. The main thing they do is deal with the city. Right. And so I was getting it handed to me left and and right. I I remember that being very, very tense. And you're just, and as a, as a taxpayer, I'm just sitting there going, what the heck is going on? Total you know? ignorance on my part. I had no idea. I mean, I'm not against all regulations. I mean, we have to have some to, yeah. to keep from there being chaos. But this was a metal building going over a dirt, a piece of dirt. And finally, some of them started to take the time. And it's difficult for them. Yeah, they got a lot. They got, they got, it's, it's a big Omaha's city. a big, yeah, for the Midwest, it's a big city. And so they, some of them started to kind of step back and realize what we were doing. And that um what drove me crazy was the same the same inspector telling us to build the driver stand three different ways <laughs> right like in a row you're just yeah like, we had to you're like get blow short torches and and cut that one time yeah and um and the drive the the uh, 
handicap ramp on the back that was that had to so there was a lot of things but just like all the things of life you know i learned some tough lessons and and if i ever did a project again yeah. i i would know what what you hire those guys cuz that's the professional guys know what to do yeah but again we were determined and got it done and that we started uh building that in um 2011. 2011. And, and we had a strict deadline crew. Yeah. For that national, yeah. the eight scale. It had to be, scale. it had to be built by September 11th, 2011. And I told all the inspectors, all that. And, and some of them got on board cause they just thought that was the coolest yeah. thing that the fire, all the these, fire inspector was the coolest. He's, he walked in, he goes, nothing's going to burn. Yeah. It's how's cool. this, how's the dirt going to start on the fire? <laughs> you know, so we, we, we got all the, everything, the fire yeah. extinguishers, the exits, everything we did legit. And, uh, it was within days that I got the approval to, yeah. and all people had bought plane tickets. They took their vacations mm-hmm. planning on co- cause they'd been there before when we didn't have it covered. So they couldn't wait to come yeah. when it was covered. But so we got that done. And, and then, uh, that's again, where, uh, you come in and, you know, I always told people the other owners would ask about my staff and I'd always tell you and Tim, I'd put you guys up against anybody in the country and on running races and managing things. Nobody's perfect, but people that have tried to do it, they realize real quick that it's not near as easy as it looks like. Yeah. Well, I I think a lot of that, I mean, Things always seem to work out for yeah. the most part. If you, you don't know? quit, I tell people, even <clears> back <throat> in my football days, when I switched from I back to fullback, there were some pretty rough days. I was getting tossed around yeah, because I have to go against the number one defense. Yeah. And they tossed me around like a rag doll. And I tell people, it's okay to give yourself a little breathing room so you can think about quitting. You can even talk to some people you trust about quitting. Yeah. And you can almost quit. Just don't quit. Right. And if and if you can be determined, you have a good plan. I just feel like that's I was there many times and I'm I'll be there many times in my life, no matter what I do. And uh but it's just it's just so hard. You know, life for everybody just comes at you. And so you got to give yourself a little breathing room and say, you know what, if I need to, I, I can get out of this, but, and you got to settle down. Yeah. What's most important, my faith, my family. So get your priorities right. So I'm going to lead into something mm-hmm. and you can talk about it if you want to, or you don't have to, but I, the retail apocalypse was real, <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we, we felt it. I think 2016 and 17, I mean, it was weird. Oh yeah. How slow we were. Yeah. So 16, we lost a lot of hobby towns, but I mean, you go out to Oakview mall. Yeah. Go around these gigantic retailers closed. Yeah. And it was happening all over the country. I know people all around the country and some of these hobby towns that I've known for a long time, they couldn't, uh, couldn't compete. You know, once, once you found out that you could order stuff from Amazon and back then have it delivered and, in three days. Well, not only that, but at the time there were no taxes. Right. That's right. That's, yeah. that's another thing. You know, you'd yeah. have, to, you'd, you'd tell people, well, we're the same prices online and they'd yeah. look at you and go, well, yeah, but I got to pay the sales tax. Yeah. And it's just like getting <clears throat> Christmas, you get stuff delivered to your house and yeah. open it up. So, you know, it, it was, uh, we had to get leaner and 
be more efficient. You, you and Tim got sick of me talking about being more efficient. Right. And, um, so yeah, that was, that was scary. But the main thing was the debt load. You know, yeah. I had a huge amount of debt and if it wasn't for that, we'd have been okay. And that's another thing you and Tim got sick of hearing me talk about was the, yeah. the debt. And we, but we had to, we had to make everything count in order to uh, well, I get think, through that. I think that's why, uh, for instance, especially now, I mean, uh, as, as, as the race director, I'm trying to, trying to, trying to make our stuff be national level quality, but also trying to do it kind of on the cheap. Right. And so <laughs> yeah. when you first started doing races and you would go to the trophy place and you'd say, well, how much does this trophy cost? Right. And they tell you, you're like, what are you out of your mind? I got to do, cause you have 10 classes. So now you have to get 10. Yeah. If you did trophies, you'd have to get 10 $60 first place trophies and 10 oh, $50 yeah. second place trophies. And so I always looked for alternatives and that's kind of where our, our boards came from. Yeah. Plaques. You know? Yeah. The plaques, uh, Jeff, look great. Jeff would cut them. It would cost us maybe a hundred bucks. Yeah. And then boom RC, you know, at the time they were two, four, seven designs or whatever, but, but he made these amazing yes. looking stickers. They don't yep. fade. I still have them from 2012, 2010. But they were way cheaper. Than yes. Trophies. And if you had to, you could even stack them up where it's kind of hard to do that with trophies. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so could. there, but there was ways where we cut costs, but yes. still managed to make yeah. it cool yep. and still managed to make it national level yeah. quality. Yeah. And then, and then when it came to the store around then, you know, we were really being very careful about what we ordered. Oh yeah. You know, and we still are, but, I mean, well. but, but, but then it was like, you had to sit there and debate with yourself. Do I order two of these slashes yeah. or do I order three? Yeah. And I started ordering almost every day. Yeah. Because we had to, we had to, instead of ordering once or twice a week, getting these huge shipments, I had to start ordering way more often to be more efficient. Mm -hmm. So we'd sell whatever we sold that day. I'd reorder it. And we were, we just were very dialed in. There just wasn't a lot of room for error. So we had to dial it in. Do you think, I mean, I kind of have my idea about how, because I feel, I feel we turned it around. Yeah. I think, I think two things happened for sure. A, they passed a the law now, uh, online sales collect sales tax. Mm -hmm. So now that excuse is out of the window. Yep. So now we're the same prices online yep. and you still have to pay sales tax, even if you bought on eBay or something like yep. that. So I yep. think, I think that right there changed the game a little bit. Mm -hmm. More, more even playing. It made it more yeah. fair. Yeah. But also like. Um, you made a, a, like a, like a focus goal of, of the only way that you can really beat online, um, for the most part is by your customer service, your, mm. your, your staff there. Yeah. And I think we, we had a staff kind of change, you know, the kids, some of the kids had gotten old and kind of left yeah. and, and see these new ones came on and, and you had Cameron kind of come on and, and take control of that and, and put a different face yeah. on us a little bit. And yeah. I think that that definitely helped a lot. Yeah. I, I always wanted customer service to be top notch. It's just our industry. It's very difficult. The electronics, it's, it's very tough yeah, for you the to average explain customer. To people. Yes. And they don't understand that. No. And I called, I started calling it the Walmart syndrome 20 right. years ago because they just expected, but we would be closed like most of the other hobby shops. I think the average was seven out of seven or eight out of 10 would close. Yeah. And so to beat that, those odds, you had to have a policy and stick to it. 
but my goal was to make it very visible. You know, instead of having a little fine print on the receipt and then they'd try to read that, I just wanted to be honest with the yeah. customers and let them know who they were dealing with and what our policies were and and hopefully be treated great as far as if they had little problems here and there that we'd help them with that. And, and um, yeah, you mentioned Cameron, that was a, a great thing for me that he was, well, cause it, see, he's my, being my son, I didn't have to pay him at all if I didn't want to, <laughs> <laughs> but he, he helped uh, kind of take a load off of you and Tim with the repairs and kind of take some of that over. So it was a great team effort. Yeah. No doubt about it. And then I, I think, I think uh, using social media, correctly to advertise us oh, I think huge. was also uh, a, a big change and, and it helped get us out there to people to this day still people every time we do a Facebook ad oh, people are yeah. coming in going I had no idea you're here you that's yeah. one of John's things he's like how can you not know we're here and it's like <laughs> well there's there's 400 500,000 people right. in Omaha I guess yeah yeah so oh yeah so that was Alex Sturgeon I can no. still remember you coming telling me hey we gotta do this social media I'm like oh geez yeah. And, uh, you know, I was still like doing coupons and stuff and, uh, and you kept showing me this stuff. And I mean, you're great at this. I mean, this is the, you're, you know, this is, this is kind of your wheelhouse yeah. and, uh, you do a good job of it. People love the what's new Wednesdays. Yeah, My mom loves the what's new Wednesdays. I got to do one of those again. <laughs> I'm like a month. I haven't done one in two months. And then it's really fun because Cameron's usually holding the phone and, yeah. You say st he starts chuckling. I see him moving the phone up and down. I mean, it's just, it's fun to watch. So yeah, that, that was a great job. And so, you know, you learning about that social media and what we should do, what we shouldn't do. And you would talk to me and Tim about it. And, and we, the three of us kind of make the decision together. And, yeah. and, um, that was a great, great thing. So the internet about killed us. And now it's, it's, it's helping us it's, huge. Yeah. It's weird. It's, it's <laughs> so. strange, isn't it? I never thought of it that way. Yeah. We got to get into the sale. Oh yeah. Yeah. We got to get into it. We can't, we can't not talk about that. All right. Well, so Cameron really has been involved for about 10 years, you know, in the dirt, during the dirt billing yeah. bill, we do those tarp, tarp teams. Yep. He was heavy in it. So yeah, it that's kind of your, your ownership. There's the behind the scenes crew. I didn't have any idea he'd take to it like he did. And, and, uh, once sports got over for him, you know, he, he really took to it and was great for me. And, uh, maybe Jamie knows me better than Cameron, but not many people know me better than Cameron. So it would help you and Tim. It was kind of like a, like a go between kind of figuring stuff out, mm -hmm. what I really needed to have done and <clears throat> stuff that maybe I didn't care that much about. And so he kind of fit in there. But, uh, so I assumed he was, he'd take it over. We recovered well from the, from the internet, the brick and mortar internet war. Yeah. And then here we are with the, in the pandemic and we learned to just, all we had to do was get more loans and push out, the, push out the inventory for yeah, about a year's I, worth of inventory instead I, of a month's worth of inventory. It's so weird because I, <laughs> I wrote this down. I mean, imagine if we were in a different state Oh, yes. and they put way more restrictions on us. Oh, I, I yes. talked to the guy at Adrenaline RC two weeks ago about it. And he, he had people, um, he had made appointments oh, and yeah. so he couldn't open the store, but he had people roll up in their car and he'd 
get their stuff. Yes. And he'd, they'd do an exchange of money there and, yep. and then they'd be on their way. So he was still rocking it busy. And many of the hobby towns were that way. Yeah. I, it's funny at Zio's Pizza the other day, I saw Pete Ricketts, mm. Governor Ricketts. So I was able to thank him for that. Yeah. You know, I'm not a big political guy, but he was, I think there was eight hobby towns out of 115 that were open. Yeah. And two of those were mine. Yeah. And um, the governor's, it's ultimately the governor's call and they were shutting them down. And so I was very thankful that we were able to uh, stay open, be smart about it. You know, the social distancing, the hand sanitizer, all just, just common sense stuff that we did. And um, so, but during that time, these, these things that happen in life. So I didn't even know who John Talborg was. Right. Many of my friends or say a few of my friends, it's, which is many when you're talking about this, mm -hmm. they knew who he was. And I'd met a real estate agent a long time ago and he was kind of all real estate agents were like, Oh, if you ever want to sell this, I'd have stuff stuck in my door and the door at the store and it'd say, Hey, we can yeah. sell your business. Cameron was going to take it over. But the more I heard about, so I started checking this guy out. And so I would talk to at least probably three different guys. They all talked about how solid of a guy this John Taborg was and his business, how, how he's a great business owner. His family has been in business. So he had two boys of his own and his brother had three boys and they'd been coming to Friday night lights mm -hmm. for years, yeah. probably five years or more. And so finally one day he wanted to meet and um, the real estate agent, and me, I didn't want to meet. Yeah. I didn't want to meet with him. I said, he can talk to, you know, the real estate guys. I don't, I don't really want to meet with him. And he was pretty adamant about it. And so I checked him out enough that I said, oh yeah, I'll meet with him. But still didn't, didn't think anything about it. So it was like, Last year, so it hasn't even been a year. So last July was the real time we sat down. Mm. But to be honest with you, there was two main things. Was Cameron and you guys. Right. That was that was my tough thing. So. I, I, I remember you saying that you had met with another possible buyer and he turned out to be a giant jerk face. Well, there wasn't really any any legit stuff. Yeah. You know, it, one thing for me, and it's kind of mean to do, but it's kind of like, you don't know what something's worth. You can make it up, but until somebody makes you an offer. Right. So, so I, I, I might've put out a feeler or something here and there to see what something would really be worth. But there, it was just, they were mostly just a joke. It's pretty easy to figure stuff out. I mean, we have massive amount of inventory. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, so there's, and the land is worth what it's worth. I mean, there's two acres there. So it's not hard to figure out. To, and to, I mean, you bought it in 2004. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, so the thing with John, the first time I sat down with him, he had, he had this reputation. Great. That I checked him out. He probably didn't know that. I, I did tell him that later, but, but, um, I felt like he and I were enough alike that he'd treat you guys right. Yeah. And that was a real, real, real important thing to me. And that he would give you all a genuine opportunity to, to prove that you're worth, cause I didn't know if his family, you know, his nephews and kids, and I didn't know if they'd be like, okay, you guys are out. 
And he said, absolutely not. And when I talked to him about you guys, he said, I want that. And we wanted to keep it quiet because we didn't want anybody getting nervous. Yeah. If it fell through, because it could have fell through numerous times because we had a lot of stuff we had to sort through. So I didn't want anybody getting nervous about it. And so Cameron had developed, without even knowing who the guy really was, he developed a relationship with their wives and their kids. And so, of course, I was concerned about Cameron. And um, that was one of their things is they're like, well, if you go, will Cameron stay? And so that ended up being the deal. I was able to explain to the value that you and Tim were. Right. And and all the guys. I went down yeah. the line. We went down the line one day and talked about every employee in depth and and how important they were to the business, right down to the part-time guys. And yeah. uh, I appreciate every every employee. And um, I was he was same. We were right on the same page. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think. It, the, you know, I hope I hope uh, we tried to make it so it was just like a turnkey deal. Yeah, so far. And if anything, um, John has Cameron told me he's at the store. He's see, here's the deal too for the customers. He actually knows about the stuff. You know, yeah. his kids and his brother. They they race. They they know about RC. They know about how awesome Hobby Shop is and. So it's in great hands, and um, he's such a capable business guy. That was one of the cool things about the people that I talked to is they were, they were very complimentary about his business style right. and legit. And so that was one of the things that made it so the customers need to know that, because I just got done last Monday was our first Monday. We didn't have our manager. We always had a yeah. manager meeting every first, Monday. First meeting so meeting. I agreed with John that I'd, I'd stay around for 90 days as advisory role. Mm-hmm. And so we spent all that time, just you and me and Tim chatting. And John would just sit there and listen how we did things. And he's just as adopted stuff. He respects you and Tim, the skills that you guys have and your knowledge. And so for him, for a guy that owns multiple businesses, yeah, you have to have leadership like that. You have to have a crew that can take care of things themselves, not bugging you all the time. And yeah. you guys did he was, great. He was, uh, let's see, I was building the track for the ProTech race and he had gone on vacation the week before, I think. Yeah. And I remember him coming down that Monday and going, hey, I just want to thank you guys. Something was bugging me all week. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And then when I came, when I came back home, I realized nobody from the Plex called me about anything. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. we didn't have to. We're, we're good. Ken guy trained them well. Yeah, we're good to go. Well, that's that's the staff. And I think it, I didn't ever need to talk about it because I think people knew. And the great thing is most of the legit Huskers that you, you meet, yeah. the legit ones, they don't talk about themselves that much. Well, that's. Unless you're asked, like you've asked me. That leads me to the back to the Nebraska thing. It, it, there's a humbleness to Nebraska football players. Every every single one of them that I've met, you know, they they don't usually talk about. Oh, Coach Osborne made that clear. Let other people talk about you or your accomplishments. Don't you talk about it? So for me, I did feel bad. I, I would have liked to have been around the store more. But when you know the story, when I was kind of trying to phase myself out. I had more than one person ask how I got a job there. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, it just wasn't down my alley. 
yeah. then the technology started to change like crazy. Yeah. It stayed the same for about 10 years and then it just started to change. So, so anyways, to me, you guys, the respect you showed me and even as a boss is very important to me to thank you guys and to let you know, I appreciated it. It's not easy. People, yeah. people don't know. We had about a dozen employees by six full time and, and about six part time th- through the time. It's, it's not as easy as people think. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I thank you guys for making it happen because it was a team. It was a team. Yeah. And whether I was the head coach or the owner of the team or whatever it was, it was, it was definitely a, a team and that kind of my background, that's kind of what it come from. And I had, I had a couple all Americans at the top and, right. and, uh, we had some great players that trickled down from you and Tim and some of these part-time guys, I just enjoy, I, yeah. I, it's just so fun to see them. They love the plex and they love coming to work and at least for a short time, it's human nature, you know, after a while, whatever you do, yeah, kind of move on. No, we got uh, a lot of good, good, really good. We have in a pretty good place right now. Staff wise. I mean, you left yeah. us with a pretty good staff, I think is how that worked out. It's good. Well, I mean, so what do you do now? What, what, I mean, <laughs> yeah. is it, well, was there, was there a giant weight just uh, lifted? Yeah, the weight. Because the, the, the stress, and I still had, you know, a good chunk of debt. And, you know, that's always staring at you. But I grew up pretty much in the wilderness. And so motorcycles and hunting, a lot of guys gave up on me because I just didn't want to leave the metro yeah. with the businesses. And uh, so... They've been hearing through the grapevine, and I love the outdoors. I love being out. I I just can't wait to uh, start reconnecting with some of these guys. A lot of my teammates, my Husker teammates, are around the country. Yeah, they live in Florida and all over, and they want me to come down and and uh, I look forward to going to visit them and talk. You know, we we can talk about the old days. Yeah, and uh, so. But Jamie and I, she helped me through all the, all the paperwork, secretarial stuff. So we were kind of on top of each other every day for a long time. Didn't get to have a lot of fun. So we're just looking forward to being able to see the country and relax a little bit and enjoy. Uh, but the Plex will always be my last day, that last Monday with John. He was so great. He just said, Ken, you'll always be a part of this place. And right. And, uh, you know, you guys will always be important to me and, and the Plex. And it's kind of like one of your kids, you know. Yeah. It, it, it starts from nothing. And it was just a pasture out there when we first went out there. Yeah. So, so it's, it's great, again, to thank all the customers that have supported it and hope they continue to do so. Yeah, and, and anytime you want to buy something, I'll, I'll give you a discount. <laughs> we did run that by John, you know. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not family. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so this is great. Proud of you for all that you've done and this thing here. When you first approached me about this, I'm like, ah, uh, no. <laughs> I never did not want to come. Right. No, I just, knew that. It was just timing, wedging it in. Timing, trying to fit it in. Yeah. You know, when you were the, the boss man, you had a lot of stuff going on. And I can see with Alex Sturgeon and Will Brenton, that Will Brenton's another one of those names that I've appreciated yeah. all these years. So I'm glad I could kind of fill in for Will a little bit before the real show starts. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think, uh, I think that about does it. So Ken Kalen, uh, previous owner, <laughs> yeah, founder, how about that? Founder uh, of the Hobbytown Hobbyplex here in Omaha, Nebraska. 
And uh, we appreciate you coming in. I know all our listeners are going to really enjoy this and uh, get, get some insight to uh, the behind the scenes because, you know, you weren't there at the store. So you were kind of this mysterious figure, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, Mostly for the good. Yeah. People ask me questions. I don't have a clue. Right. You know, and they're just going, geez, this guy doesn't know anything. <laughs> yeah. So that's that. But we, like I said, the team aspect of it, there's a lot of things that I was able to do that you guys, you and Tim didn't have to mess with. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you guys did a lot of stuff that I didn't have to mess with. So we just kind of did it. It's just like me telling the, you got stuff done. The Huskers telling the linebackers what to do. Yeah. You know, we each did our job and did it well. And if you do it right, you have a, a winning combination. So yeah, I feel that's, that's what we did. Cool. All right. Well, uh, there you go, guys. Appreciate you tuning in. Uh, this was Alex Sturgeon with the Hobbytown Hobbyplex again here with Ken Kalen, uh, founder of the Hobbytown Hobbyplex here in Omaha, Nebraska. Thanks for catching us, and uh, we'll try to get some more interviews for you soon, but not much is going to top the last two. So, see ya. Thank you.